We're coming to the end of 1 Peter. Um, we probably have today's sermon and one more sermon uh, is the plan. We've covered a lot of ground over the last uh, months, and it's proven to be a very timely book to go through. So uh, it's been a blessing to, to us to study through and to teach, and I hope it's been a blessing to all of you as well. Peter's just warned the church that the end is near, and, he, and then he spent some time instructing the church on how we're supposed to live in light of that warning, not only how we're to, to live as individuals, but, but more importantly, how we're to live as the church, um, which, which he says, you know, in Hebrews, it says that it will be more necessary to figure that out as the Lord draws nearer. So the truth of the matter is, though, if we think about it, you know, let's just face it, that's a hard thing to figure out. Uh, this is, uh, you know, what an eclectic group of people, and I don't just mean this group, but every church is, is kind of this way. It's made up of a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, upbringings, interests. How in the world are we supposed to come together and be unified and, and like be like a family? How can so, um, so people so different exist together in unity in this way? And, and, and the reason is it's possible because of our common bond in Christ and it's doable if we're willing to follow the instructions he has for us. If when we do that, then we can be one big, happy, slightly dysfunctional family, right? <laughs> and I love the church. I love, I love being a part of the family of God. Uh, it's, it's in the church that I have found love and acceptance and purpose and all, and all of these things. In some ways, I'm closer to my church family members than I am to some of my, some of my regular family members, which sounds weird to say, but it's just the reality. Well, Peter's just finished talking about one of the things that's needed in order for the church to function well, and that is the need for elders or pastors in the church, and Pastor David uh, covered that last week. Elders or pastors, we use those, those terms interchangeably, are entrusted with the task of shepherding God's people by overseeing, feeding, and protecting the flock. And he's just spoken about what he expects from pastors. Now he's going to kind of flip the script and talk a little bit about what he expects from those under their care. And so we're going to pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Starts out by saying this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So he starts out by addressing those who are younger, and um, he instructs those, those people to be subject to their pastors. Now, scholars are divided about who Peter is referring to here. There, there's a lot of different ideas, and I'm not going to cover all of them, but some people think that he's, he's completely moved to a new topic here, and he's simply trying to tell younger people to respect the older generation, and that's one of the, th the thoughts that's out there, but while that's definitely important and something that young people should do, it doesn't really fit with the context very well, especially since he starts this verse out with, a, with the phrase likewise, or some of your translations might say in the same way. It's pretty clear he's, he's continuing the same theme by saying that in the same way that elders are subject to the chief shepherd, younger people in the church are, are to accept the, the position and role and be subject to the leaders in the church. That's the, the understanding. It seems pretty clear that Peter's talking about the relationship dy dynamic between pastors and the younger in the church. Now, what isn't clear is who these younger people are. 
Some scholars think that Peter is referring to those in the church that are younger in age, those that we would refer to as, you know, those millennials or the Gen Zers among us. Um, the thought is that he's singling out these younger people because they might naturally question authority or have some thoughts of their own and maybe will struggle to come under the authority of, of you know, uh, leadership. Um, younger people often, but not always, think that they kind of have things figured out. Now, I'm not criticizing younger. Sometimes they do, if we're being honest. I, I would just be honest and say that I've learned a lot from my, my, my uh, children and, and some other people that are younger the way that they view the world, the way that they see things sometimes is different than we do. And sometimes they're right about some stuff. So I'm not trying to say that they're just, you know, those, those idiots don't know anything. That's not the case at all. But I can remember back when I was 19, 20 years old, 18, somewhere in that range, a time in my life when I just thought I had it all figured out. I thought if you wanted to know about life and how to live it, come sit at my feet and I will explain the wisdom of the, you know, all my wisdom of all my years. And I remember thinking that, like, if older people would just come and sit at my feet for a while, this world would be a much better place. You know, that was kind of my, my arrogance and my pride. And it wasn't until about the time maybe when I got married and started having kids that I was, like, realizing I know nothing at all. And I began to seek out those older people and say, please, give me your wisdom about life and how to live it, because I need it right now. And so you kind of go through that transition when you're younger uh, of that. Um, so it's possible that's what Peter's addressing here. It's possible he's just kind of saying, you know, these young whippersnappers, we need to get them in, in line and make sure that, that instead of being rebellious, that, they, that they're willing to come under the authority uh, of the leadership of the church. Maybe that's it. Another thought is that he's talking about people who are new to Christianity. The Greek word for younger, can, it can refer to a person's age, but it can also refer to those who are new to the group. And it, and it makes sense that Peter would want to address those who are new to the family of God, kind of uh, make sure that they understand the family dynamic, because it is actually very different from what the world does. So it would kind of like Peter gathering all the, the newbies together and saying, okay, welcome to the family, here are the family rules. Uh, we have a group of men that we refer to as pastors or elders, and they have been tasked with the responsibility of overseeing the church. We, you know, we've identified these guys as, as they're called, they're qualified, and so they're, they're the ones leading. We want to make sure that you guys understand that and, and, you know, come under their leadership. That's a possibility as well. But there is another thought that scholars have that I kind of lean towards, and, and we can debate this later. It's okay if you don't agree with this, but, but it's simply that Peter is referring to everyone in the church who's not in a position of leadership. So in other words, you have elders and you have non-elders. In fact, we use the word elder. We don't mean older people. Uh, we know Timothy and Titus were elders in the church, but they weren't old. I mean, just because I am doesn't mean that everybody, everybody is. It just means, you know, it's a position thing. And so, so younger is the opposite of that. And it's really talking about more of a spiritual distinction than it is an age distinction. This would have been a good way for Peter to distinguish between the leadership and the rest of the church, and it does flow with the context well. But again, Maybe that's not what this is, is referring to. Um, study it out yourself and, and see what you come up with. But, but I like that. It, it works well. Um, so if that's the case, this is kind of the way we would read it. In the first four verses, Peter is saying, pastors, you do this. Oversee the church, do these things. In, in verse five, he's saying, the rest of you do this. Come on, you know, be willing to accept their position and, and come under their authority. And then in verse five, he follows it up by saying, and all of you do this. And that's where he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. Now, regardless of where you land on this, it's safe to say that Peter just got through talking about the role of the elders, the pastors in the church, and, and now he's going to kind of acknowledge that this is going to be hard for some people. I don't know if you're like me, but submitting to authority or coming under leadership is something that, that I struggle with. And that's true whether you're young or new to the group, or if you just, like me, have a sin nature and tend to be a little rebellious at times. It's, it's something that we have, a, a, you know, we struggle with. And, and so I think that's what Peter's trying to brace us for. And, and it's not a coincidence that right when he gets done talking about this, he, he moves right into the subject of pride because that's kind of the natural, the natural place to go. And I can tell you that um, what Peter's addressing here isn't just like a theoretical thing. It's something the church deals with. It's something that we've dealt with over the years. We've, this isn't just like, you know, something he just, hey, let me throw this out there. It's something we need to know because we, we have to deal with it. The struggle is real. I remember about five years ago, I preached a sermon on elders and deacons. And I just thought it would be a pretty, I don't know, non-controversial sermon in general. But we had a small uproar of people who had a problem with it. And, and there was this little faction that kind of grew out of the church that almost, you know, I mean, it almost blew up into they, them leaving kind of thing because of this. And what it came down to was there was one guy in particular that, that kind of championed the movement, if you will, that it kind of came, you know, who do you think you are? Where do you get this idea that there are leaders in the church and that then there's people that, you know, come and I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's a biblical thing. And I, I went to the word and I showed him where it was, you know, places like what we're even reading in First Peter and he said, well, I don't, I don't, I don't interpret it that way. <laughs> and it was like, well, that's handy, but that's kind of what the Bible teaches. But he didn't like it at all. And, and we kind of went back and forth and, and we're having an argument out on the side of the building in Sun River, actually. And finally, I just asked him a simple question. I said, you've been here for quite a while. You, you've watched us as pastors lead. Do you have a problem with the way we lead? I mean, have you, do we come across as harsh or domineering or heavy handed? in the way that we lead? Or, or would you say that we, we actually kind of lead the way God would have us lead in, in, a, in a humble servant leader kind of way? And he said, yeah, you guys, you guys do a good job of all of that. And I'm like, so you don't really have a problem with what we're doing. You have a problem with the idea of authority. That's, where, that's your beef. And he didn't want to admit it, but yeah, that was his beef. He just didn't like the idea of having a boss of any kind over him. Now, if you know that, you know that if you've been with us through 1 Peter, uh, for any length of time, that the subject of authority and how we're supposed to deal with it has come up multiple times now. In fact, I would just say that Christians are under several layers of authority. We have authority structures in government, we have it at work, we have it in the home, and we have it in church. And, and as we'll see in a minute, all of these exist under the mighty hand of God. And he's placed these, these structures there for our benefit and for our protection. And, and it helps for us to acknowledge that and understand it that way. And when we're trying to always get out from under the mighty hand of God, we'll be in trouble. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But we're supposed to willingly submit to the authorities that God has placed in our lives, unless they command what God forbids or forbid what God commands. If that happens, everything changes, right? That's kind of the keep doing it until you see that happen. If that happens, all bets are off. And I would say that that includes even us as pastors. If we ever say something or teach something that is contrary to the word of God, you can disregard it. Now, I would hope that if you ever hear something like that, you would come to us 
humbly and lovingly and say, hey, what, 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 you know, what are you guys doing? What are you, what are you teaching here? What's going on? We might find out that we have something to learn or we might find out that you have something to learn according to the word or we might find out that the whole thing was a misunderstanding. Those kinds of things happen in the church. But if you ever hear anything that sounds like it doesn't line up with this, you have the privilege, the responsibility, the duty even, I would say, to come to us and say, hey, what's going on? Right? Because sometimes over the years, I know it's hard to believe, but we're not infallible, we get things wrong. We've gotten things wrong in relationships. We've said things on a Sunday morning. You know, we mean to see, say one thing and something else comes out of our mouths. And I mean, there's been a couple times where it's bothered us the whole week enough to where we have to come back and say, guys, I said something last week that, oops, and we'll fix it. Because we, I hope you know that about us. We take this responsibility to shepherd the flock of God very seriously. Um, we wanna do it well. We wanna honor God. We want to get his word right. We wanna have sound doctrine and what we teach and and we absolutely want to make sure that we preach the the real true honest gospel and if we're not doing that um it's time for us just to, to you know stop doing what we're doing okay we hope that there is a level of trust that you have with us and in a, a relationship where you can come to us and talk to us about things um but ultimately, at some point, you have to decide in the church that you're in, like, okay, that's the bus. I, I see the direction it's going. I see the leaders that are, that are driving the bus. I'm willing to get on that bus and go with them. That's an important thing to figure out in a church. Um, over the years, there's been some people that have decided, you know what, I don't want to get on that bus. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like where it's going. I don't like where it's headed. And they've, they've gotten off the bus. Now, sometimes it's for reasons that we can't, you know, do anything about. Sometimes it's like, I don't like the carpet on the bus. I don't like the music on the bus. I don't like, it's those kinds of things. There's been a couple times where it's just been doctrinal. And there are some things that you should divide over in the church. When it comes to the person and work of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, if, if we were teaching something contrary to what the Bible, I would expect you to all leave, you know, that would be, but when it comes to end times, you know, how, the, how that's all going to time out, that's not a reason to leave or divide, and yet we see people do that. Uh, we had one family, I, re I remember um, over the years, that we, uh, if you've been here any length of time, you know that we are pretty hard about on the prosperity gospel, the word faith movement. We really have a problem with it. We don't like it. We teach against it. We had a family one time just say, you know what? I believe all that, and I believe in those teachers, and, and some of those guys are our heroes, and, and they left over that. That was a doctrinal thing that they couldn't get past, and we left well. You know, we, we left with hugs. And we left with, when we see you again in the community, we're gonna, there's gonna be hugs and handshakes. That's the way you're supposed to leave. But at some point, if you can't, if you can't get on that bus with us, then, then what happens is you end up kind of, and, and I don't mean this harshly, but if you're not happy <laughs> with the leadership and the direction of the church and you're hanging around, what's that gonna cause? At some point, it's just gonna, you're just poisoning the well. You're just creating disunity. And, and, and God is pretty serious about that not happening in his church. So I hope that, you know, and I think there, there's a sweet spirit of unity in this group right now. And we've, we've watched that kind of develop. You know, it's been an interesting journey since we joined Chad and kind of done, you know, we've seen people, we've seen it grow, we've seen it shrink, we've seen people come, we've seen people go. But where it sits right now is, is kind of exciting. Uh, there's a little buzz, uh, you know, between the pastors about this, this wonderful kind of spirit of family that's existing right now. And we're happy about that. Uh, I just want to say this. Um, there are times when it's okay for people to leave the church. It's, sometimes it's actually a good thing. Um, 
we'd, we'd never like to see it, but sometimes it's just, you know, sometimes God moves pieces around, sometimes things happen, that, that kind of happens. But I just want to say this as a warning. If you're the kind of person that um, every church you go to, you can't get on the bus, you find a reason not to, and, and, and it just keeps happening and happening and happening and happening. At some point, you need to probably understand that it may not be the bus. It may not be the church. It may not be the, the, the pastors. It may be you. It may be something that you, you're doing. It may be that you have a problem with authority. And you need to acknowledge that because we've witnessed this over the years. We've watched people kind of come into the church, sort of. They kind of stay on the outside, maybe sit on the fence. You know, they're not in the pen with the rest of the sheep. They're kind of outside the pen. They never really acknowledge us as their pastors or come under the authority of the church or really buy in, but they kind of hang around. And, and it's like, guys, get in the pen. <laughs> and if you can't do it here, you know, with these wonderful pastors that we are, then go somewhere where you can. Because it's important that you're under the mighty hand of God. And part of that is being, in authority, you know, being accountable to a local body of believers. That's just an important part of what the Christian life is about. Sheep need shepherds, right? If you're the kind of sheep that thinks they don't need a shepherd, that's, you're, you're, in, you're in trouble. And, and just for the record, I'm a sheep too. At the door, you guys have three pastors. I have two. That's the difference, right? Chad and David are my pastors, and I thank God for them. They shepherd me. They protect my life. They guide me. They watch over me. They, 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 you know, when I fall over, they pick me up. When I, when I get off, you know, into the weeds, they come and bring me back. They're my pastors. Jordan is also, the vicar's like, I, maybe I have, you know, two and a half pastors, two and three quarters. He's almost a pastor, but he's still, you know, right now he's still just a vicar. But he also does that in my life. We need that. Sheep are prone to wander. We're, we're prone to stray. And God has kind of given us these safety bumpers you know, like remember when you, when you were a kid and you used to bowl, maybe some of you still use them, but you had those little safety bumpers so that, so that you didn't end up in the gutter. That's really kind of what shepherds are meant to be in the body of Christ. So take advantage of us as those people that God has placed in your life for that reason. I would bet that every one of you has had a circumstance in your life this last year that was very difficult for you and hard to navigate. It's just been that kind of year, so it's a pretty safe bet. And I'll admit that I'm surprised and, and kind of perplexed sometimes at how um, rare it is for people to come to us when they're going through those things to ask us to help guide them, to help search the scriptures with them, to help pray for them. Sometimes we don't hear about major things that have happened in your life until after the fact. And it's kind of heartbreaking, if I'm being honest. It's like, we're here for you. And take advantage of that, please. It's always a great privilege when we get to pray with you and, and, and open the word with you and, and help you figure, figure out whatever that thing is that you're going through. Um, but the truth is, and I don't know why this is, most of us kind of like to go it alone. Are you, I don't know if you're going to admit that or not. I just saw this thing on Facebook the other day, and it wasn't like a, a real study, but it was interesting. It said, like, which one of these things are you unwilling to do or ask or say, I think it was like, and it was like, I love you, I'm sorry, I need help, and something else. And overwhelmingly, the one that people picked, and it's the one I would have picked, was I need help. We don't want to ask for help. Not because we don't need it. We're all super needy. We all need help. We just don't want to ask for help. Isn't that funny? And, and the, the funny thing I've seen over the years is that the people who won't ask for help 
are the first ones to help. They're the first ones to jump in and say, I'll, I'll help. You know, it's not a bother for them to help, but somehow they feel like it would be a bother for them to receive help. That's pride. That's pride. I know what it is because I recognize, I had to like examine myself. What is that, Brent? It's pride. Maybe it's because we don't want to be a bother, but that's what the church is for. You know, isn't it, isn't it so cool to see the family of God come together to bless each other and to help each other? My wife, when the people were kept asking, what can we do for you? What can we do for you? And my wife finally said, you know, we've got all these branches in our yard that we need picked up. They, they need to be hauled out to the road and Brent can't do it. And I'm working right now too much and I just can't do it. And so she, a crew of people came over to my house in my yard. We've got like a pretty big yard with a lot of trees and a lot of branches. I expected that, and I didn't want to ask. I told Joy, don't ask that. Let the branches sit there. Don't be a bother. You know, I was kind of got mad at my wife a little bit. Sorry, honey. And so this crew of people comes over on a Saturday, their Saturday, their day off. I don't want to bother them on their day off. And I couldn't believe what they did. They didn't, not only, they brought tractors, they brought pruners, they brought, some of you were in this room, you know what happened. Um, and I just watched them tackle my yard and it ended up looking like a park when they were done. I had more branches. It was kind of embarrassing to see the stack of branches out at the street when all this was said and done. And I watched people who were able to bless me at a time when I needed to be blessed. And, and, and they, you know, I was blessed, they were blessed. There was this mutual thing going on. The whole thing took two or three hours. What an amazing thing that I almost deprived myself and some of you of because of my pride. And we do that all the time. Another reason that we don't ask for help, especially from the leadership, is because we don't like people knowing our business, right? We just don't want people to know. And I don't know what that's all about either, because again, within the church, and especially this church, we're pretty open about what's going on in our lives. This is a safe place to be honest about where you're at and what's going on. And I love that about the door. It's always been that way. We're the first ones to tell you what's going on in our lives and we, we want you to be able to feel the same way. But it's become common for people to not want to go to the church or to the pastors, but to go to outside somewhere for, to professionals for help where it's kind of kept quiet and, and safe and shh. And that happens a lot. But I just want to say, God has placed us here as the people who know you and love you and want what's best for you. And, and we need to do this together more often than, than it happens. Another reason that people go it alone is because they've been burned in the past. And I know this happens. They don't wanna open themselves up to hurt again, but I just wanna say that um, I hope that you know that uh, we will be loving, fair, kind. Um, we're gonna tell you the truth. <laughs> And sometimes that hurts, I'll be honest. Sometimes, you know, you go to God's word and say, hey, this is what you're doing. This is what God's word says you're supposed to do. Or, you know, you're going to do that or not. You know, that's kind of how a counseling session goes sometimes. But so we're not going to, you know, just placate you and say, keep doing what you're doing. We're going to challenge you with what God's word tells you. But we're going we're gonna to love you through that time and help you through that time and, and, and hopefully get you through that time. So for the church to function in the way that God intended it, it needs qualified leaders who are followable. I don't think that's a word, but I liked it. And it needs people who are willing to follow those leaders. But we just identified two areas that keep that from happening. Right? One is resistance to authority, and the other is a resistance to receiving help. And the, the answer to why we resist both of those things, again, boils down to pride. Pride is a tricky thing. It's sneaky. It doesn't just show up and announce, you know, I'm pride, here I am in your life. 
it, it comes in weird ways that we don't even, you know, hardly notice. So it can disguise itself. We don't even see it. It comes in the form of self-reliance, which is a virtue in the world right now. You know, I can do it. I don't need help. I'm a, you know, I'm a self-made, you know, that, that kind of idea. That, that's pride. It comes in the form of self-importance, right? The idea of self-promotion, self-importance, and it comes in, in the form of self-pity. We don't even recognize that as pride sometimes. A person can feel so sorry for himself and, and be so consumed with what they're going through that, you know, that it, it's just, it's pride again. And, and the, the weird thing about that is that we don't see it, but in every one of those scenarios, self is in the spotlight. And anytime self is in the spotlight, pride is there lurking nearby. So it's important for us to identify the pride that's in our life because God goes on record here and, and he says he opposes the proud. He's against that. He's against you in that regard. If you're proud, that's kind of heavy to think about. I don't want God to oppose me. It's like, that sounds just terrifying, doesn't it? God is opposed to you. What? what? I want to fix that. Now, you would think that a person who has come to Christ for salvation would be rid of pride because what is necessary for salvation? What do you have to do in order to be saved? That there needs to be a willingness to swallow your pride, to bow your knee, to submit to Christ as Lord and to beg him for help. All the things we were just talking about, you have to do that to become a Christian. Right? So, so you would think we would have an easier time doing these things since these were prerequisites to self. But we've already done it once, right? But, and here the, but we see Peter saying, no, you, you didn't get it. You still got, I still got to say it again. So here he goes. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And as I mentioned already, he's including the church, all of the church here, including the pastors. Every one of us needs to do this. And I want to point out the obvious and just acknowledge this is the exact opposite advice that the world would give you. We're continually taught in the world that we're a pretty big deal, that we need to focus on ourselves, that's priority number one, and that we deserve the best of everything. You know, there's, there's subtle and not so subtle messages that are constantly telling you that. And I, I even, just, you know, I remember like, you deserve a break today because I'm worth it. All those commercials, you know, from the, those are probably old ones now, but, but I remember those thinking, yeah, I am. Yeah, I do. You know, I'm a, you know it's, it, it, we, that'll feed our flesh all day long. We'll buy right into that. Even the church in America has been telling us that we deserve our best life now. And people are filling stadiums to hear that. If that's your presupposition, then humility doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Why, why, you know, it doesn't even fit with that worldview. But if you understand that every breath you draw in is mercy from God that you don't deserve, if that's your presupposition, that's mine. I understand that. I know that I don't deserve, you know, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Having open heart surgery will do that to you. Every breath I draw in is mercy from God. Thomas Watson actually said that. That's not my quote. It's just stuck with me over the years. Every breath, this one, the next one, the one after that, mercy, mercy, mercy from God. When you have that mindset, humility makes a lot of sense. Every true Christian has a couple of things in common. You have to understand your sinfulness, your desperation for Christ, right? You have to understand your need for a savior, that you can't save yourself. That is humbling to, to accept. But we also have a great sense of worth because of what God has done for us. You know, when you, when you think about 
what God did for you with you in mind as an individual, doesn't it just blow your mind sometimes to think about that? That, that should take away any need to one-up somebody around you or to step on somebody else to exalt yourself. God loves you, sent his son to die for you. You're worth immeasurably more than you can ever imagine because of that. So the gospel is a leveler of people. It's, it's like the great equalizer. It puts us all on the same ground. It humbles us equally as sinners and it exalts us equally as God's beloved. It's so good. <laughs> the gospel makes us low and then it exalts us. It's like those candies, you know, first it's sweet or no, first it's sour and then it's sweet. Um, notice the text also tells us this. It says to, that we're to humble ourselves, right? Who's supposed to do that? You, right? It's something you're called to do, something you must be determined to do, that you need to be deliberate about. And it gives us the picture of clothing ourselves. I, I like this picture, it's helpful. So in the, you know, all of you guys woke up today and picked out an outfit for yourself. Maybe you had it picked out for you. I don't know how your dynamic works at home. I know some guys can't be trusted to do that themselves. So. But, but an outfit, you picked something out to wear today, right? Peter's saying we need to pick humility. So when you go to the closet, you know, spiritual closet, you grab the cloak of humility, if you will, and, and, and you put that on every day. You need to remember, I'm going to clothe myself with humility today. And it says that we're all supposed to, to wear the same uniform. It's kind of neat to think about. It reminds me of, remember, like school uniforms. There used to be debates about whether they were supposed to wear, the, you know, I don't know. But I like the idea of it because what it, what it does is it, it keeps everybody the same. It creates unity. It, it, it kind of gets rid of any of that competitive pride and arrogance and stuff like that. You know, I've got the best clothes, the best shoes, all that. It just, it, we're all wearing the same thing. Humility. It's good. That's the idea within the church. We all put on humility for each other and, and prefer each other. And fortunately, if you, if, you, if you need like, how do we do that? What's a good example to look at on how we do that? Guess what? The church has one. It's Jesus, right? He is the perfect example for us to follow because he humbled himself. He dressed himself in clothes of humility. He chose to wear the same thing we were wearing. <laughs> and he's God. I don't know if you ever just think about that. The God of glory who's existed for eternity said, you know what? I'm going to wear what they're wearing. I'm going to put that on. Just blows my mind every time I think about it. When we are dressed with humility, there are no domineering leaders and there are no rebellious followers, but there's a family filled with unity. And that's what we're called to. So verse six says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. I, I don't, there's something about this that's just wonderful. There's a, there's a day appointed, we don't know when it is, we don't know God's schedule, where he will exalt us. He will, he will be the one that raises us up not just individuals, but as his church. There's going to come a time when the church, the beautiful bride of Christ, well, you know, it's like the, the music starts, dum, 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 you know, that idea that he's going to exalt his bride at some point, and, and she will be seen as, as beautiful for everybody to see. We, the church, will be exalted one day. And, and it just, it helps me to think about that, especially at a time when, when it seems like the church is being just kind of, I don't know, degraded a lot. In, you know, in the media and in the world right now, now there's going to come a time, God knows when, when we will be lifted up and exalted. 
Until that time, though, we're called to remain humble and to trust him as we abide under his mighty hand. It's just, um, it's interesting that humiliation leads to exaltation. Doesn't make sense, but I don't know if you've ever paid attention to God's kingdom, but the whole thing is kind of like upside down. It's like bizarre world, and, and don't, that sounds bad, but, but right, the first will be last. Uh, humiliation will lead to exaltation. Dying to self will lead you to life. It's like, what? None of that makes sense, but that's God's kingdom. It's just completely the opposite of what we would come up with. Abide under his mighty hand. That's where the safety is. That's where protection is. That's the umbrella of his care. You know, I mentioned the different layers of authority that a Christian is under, but the ceiling of all of those layers is his mighty hand. And it's good to be under that. I don't know, I just think about, uh, I mean, there's, the, the scriptures talk about that God measures the heavens with the breadth of his hand. That's like this from here to here. He, he can measure the heavens. And not like standing way far away, but like just right there. He can, you know, yeah. The heavens. That's a mighty hand. The next week, we're going to talk about the dangers that exist for the Christian who removes himself from the protection of God's mighty hand. And spoiler alert, it involves lions. So, yeah, get ready for that. But the idea is that when we willingly ignore God's will and his commands for our lives, we are inviting bad things into our life. We are outside of that protection. We don't want to be there. But for those of us who make ourselves at home under the sovereign hand of God, we get to enjoy what Peter instructs us to do in verse 7, where he says that we're to cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Um, Any of you prone to worry, um, filled with anxiety, overwhelmed with the cares of the world, he's inviting us to hand all of our anxiety over to him. So in case you missed that, step one, clothe yourself with humility Step two, cast your cares on him. So see how that works? Put this on, throw this off. That's what we're called to do. Step, you gotta humble yourself first. You gotta admit you need help. And then you can, then you can throw all of that onto him. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but um, you can't worry and trust God at the same time. You can't worry and worship at the same time. They don't, they're, they're completely the opposite. You're doing one or the other. And worry is just another form of pride. We take our concerns upon ourselves instead of entrusting them to God. Now, if you're like me, I read the verses as cast all your cares on him. And I think, does he really want me to do that? I mean, all? All of them? Are you sure, God? Because I, I, I have a lot of cares. I have a lot of things I worry about. I, I can worry about things that are never even going to happen. I can just have thoughts and conversations in my head. Don't, I'm not crazy, but just driving down the road, and I, I can worry about all kinds of things that will never even come to pass, but I, I, it's a gift, I guess. It's, it's actually called sin. Um, but I, I, you know, I think, God, you really want all of them? You want me to bother you with all of that? That's like a full-time job, just to worry about all the things I worry about. Maybe you, know, you start to think, maybe I'll just handle the small ones, maybe the small ones and the medium, the medium cares, and I'll just, just the big ones I'll give over to him, and then it won't be two, or maybe just I'll limit it to three a day, that'll be plenty for him to keep track of, that seems reasonable, but, but no, he says, no, I want them all, I, I want you to stop carrying that burden, and I want you to, to give it all to me, and the Greek word for anxiety here is singular, it, it's not cast uh, all your anxieties, it's cast all your anxiety. It's like we just, we, 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 you know, put it all together in one big ball and hand it to him, right? And, and we have to probably do that more than once, but he wants all of it. 
And I think to myself, how is that possible? <laughs> why would God want that? Why would, he, why would he bother with all my stuff? And it's right there in the verse. Because he cares for you. He cares. He cares about you. He loves you. He's like a good father who enjoys it when you call on him. I have my oldest daughter's in college right now. Uh, her name's Jordan. Uh, she doesn't call me a lot, but the other day she called me with a very serious problem. She was trying to get the, uh, she had a nine volt battery and she couldn't figure out how to get the connector off of it, right? So I had to walk her through that. Um, out of all the people in the world she could have called, she called me. You think I was bothered by that? You think I thought, why are you wasting my time? Click. I felt so honored. I mean, it was silly, but it's like she called me. She needed her dad. And that's what God is saying here. Call on me. I'm your dad who loves you. Call on me. I want to help. You can, you can call on me anytime. My kids know that. They can call me anytime for any reason. If they're drunk and they can't drive, which I hope they know, you know, I don't want that, but I've told them, call me, I'll come, you know, I'll be the one to come. That's how our father is. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. We get to call on him. <laughs> Have you ever think about that? Think about some of the crazy places people cast their anxieties. We get to call on him. Enjoy that, you know. Pick up the phone, call him, do it. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Doesn't that sound good? You just picture like just this solid thing in a storm that just can't move, won't move. When we cast our cares on him, that's what we are. Now these cares that he's talking about certainly include all of our everyday cares that we all have. But remember that he's talking to a church that's going through severe persecution right now. And I just want to remind you guys that that day could come for us. And it, it includes those cares also. Um, anything like that that's going on, he, he, he wants to take care of those things as well. The big things and the small things are important to him. I don't know if you've ever heard of George Mueller. Um, he's kind of known in church history as the man of faith. Like if you looked up the word faith in the dictionary, there's like a picture of George Mueller. That's kind of what it, you, would, you would picture. He lived in the 1800s. He built uh, many orphanages in England and he had no personal salary, but he just continually relied upon God to supply all the money and all the food needed to support hundreds of homeless children. And guess what? God always provided. There's crazy stories you can read about a time, you know, I, I won't, I, I didn't write it down, but I just remember, so if I'm, don't get the details quite right, but one where they're in the orphanage and they have nothing, no food. There's nothing in the cupboards at all, and it's mealtime. And so he gathers the children up and he says, we're going to thank the Lord for what we're about to receive. <laughs> they had nothing. And he prays a prayer of faith. Thank you, Lord, for what you're about to receive. And then there's a knock on the door, and it's like the baker saying, I don't know what's going on, but the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and told me to bake a bunch of bread for you guys. That sounds weird, I know, but I got a bunch of bread. Here it is. And they had bread. And then another knock on the door, and it's the guy that drives the milk truck. said, my, my truck just broke down. This milk's going to go bad. Could you guys use it? It's just like crazy. And, and the, the amazing thing about George Mueller is he didn't think of himself as a man of faith. He didn't think he had any more faith than the next guy. He just said, you know what? God's my father. He loves me. He said he would take care of me. 
And I believe that. I just believe in his goodness and I believe in his promises. That's all he did. And I'm like, why can't I do that? You know, that's, that's it. Matthew's gospel talks about some of these promises. And some of you guys just need to flat out like memorize this section of scripture. Put it on your fridge and look at it often because I don't know how many times we forget this, but God wants us to know how much he cares for us and how he's gonna take care of us. In Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love that passage, and I read it often to remind me that I have a father who loves me, who cares for me. If you ever doubt that your, that your father loves you, consider the cross. Think about what he did there for you. If he didn't spare his own son for you, what's he gonna withhold from you now? What's he gonna say, ah, oh, no, I've done enough? I mean, he gave Jesus for us. He gave us a savior so that we can be forgiven of our sin. There, there is nothing he won't, you know, hold back now. So if you're like me, this is something that you have to remind yourself of over and over and over again, that we need to humble ourselves under his mighty hand and trust him. And I, and I hope that today in, in a little way helps you to do that better. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you that um, you're a loving father and that you delight in caring for your kids Thank you, Father, that we get to be called your children. Um, behold what manner of love uh, you know, that, that is given unto us that we should be called the children of God. Thank you for, um, for the church. Thank you for this family that we have, Lord, uh, that we belong to something that is so amazing and, and that we get to be seated at your table as family is incredible. Thank you for what you have prepared for us that, that in due time we will be exalted as your bride. And we look forward to that day and we wait trusting you under your mighty hand in faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.